Guys, would you grab hold of a Bible and this morning join us in 1 John chapter 2. That is where we are in our Sunday morning study, working verse by verse. Excited to be there this morning. Hopefully you got a Bible, you're making your way there. If not, you're here in the sanctuary, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front. You can grab one of those, page number on the screen. Uh, you can use an electronic device. It, what, however that works for you, we just want you to have the Word of God in front of you. We want you to see it, and hopefully through it, that God would work in you what He has. For those in our overflow and joining us online, we really want to give the same invitation right now. We're glad to have you with us, and we just want to invite you to be fully present, kind of just both giving full attention to just hearing from God, but having the Word of God open before you so that you're able to follow along, and then through God's Word, He would meet you this morning. So we're longing that you would do that. And so Bible's open. Let's take a moment to pray and open up our hearts to that and ask that God would make us hear what he would have us to hear from his word this morning. I'll lead in prayer, but again, hoping you're praying as well. Father, here we are, and we've opened up your word. And this is your word. Your word is powerful. Your word, you said, doesn't return to you void without accomplishing the purposes for which you've sent it. You have told us that your word is, is able to change us, to transform us. I believe that. And so as our, your word is open before us, would you cause us to be receptive to that? Would you open up our hearts to you so that this morning, by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would take your word and just press it into our lives. Change us, transform us, work that good in us that is your good, that is what you have in this moment. Believing that you're faithful to do that, believing that you do that in ways impossible for us to fully understand, but glad for it, so glad. God, would you work right now, right here, for your glory. We're asking for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just imagine with me for a moment that I could take you and stand you up to a threshold, if you will, and kind of mark your height. I don't know if you ever did that with your children or seen that. You can walk in there and you kind of have those marks like, hey, this is where you are. But let's imagine that the height that we're measuring isn't your physical height, but your spiritual height. That in one sense, we'd be able to look and say, this is how good you're doing. This is where you are in the midst of that. Well, yeah, that's what we want to talk about today, because in many ways, that's exactly what we have laid out before us, is some levels of what we want to describe as spiritual maturity. Tell you what, you got your Bibles open there to 1 John chapter 2. Let's read the section we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll just begin to talk about it. Got it there, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, uh, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So kind of an interesting section. We, we dive into it. We see the address, and we note there very quickly that he really describes three different categories. He says it twice for each one. Little children, young men, and fathers. Children, young men, fathers. Well, we need to kind of highlight this for a second as we're diving in here and understand he's not here talking about physical age. He's not describing or dividing up the body of Christ into, you know, just, you know, kind of the youth and then, you know, kind of midway in the midst of it. Sometimes churches can do that for good reasons, probably in different places, but that's not this. This is spiritual maturity. We have no doubt in that because of the descriptions that he goes on to give that he's describing for us not physical age, but again, spiritual age or spiritual maturity. 
Now, we gazed into that, and we also need to highlight this, that spiritual maturity is an interesting reality that the Bible highlights for us often throughout that. And one of the things we need to make sure that is abundantly clear is spiritual maturity isn't actually marked by the length of time that you've been a Christian. Now, maybe it should. I mean, maybe we should be able to do that. It just is not always the case. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit this morning is that it's possible for somebody to be a Christian for decades, 10, 20, 30 years, and yet never really grow that much, never really move out of a place where they are kind of spiritually immature into that place. And so again, it's possible to see that, but it's also possible to have someone who is relatively young in Christ. I mean, you know, five years a believer and find them pressing towards a maturity that's like, wow, how did that happen? I mean, you've grown so much. And so we recognize right off the bat or need to understand this has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. We're not here describing and asking, you know, how, you know, how many years you have under your belt in so many ways as a believer. No, we're talking about levels of maturity, uh, layers that he's going to help us kind of comprehend in the midst of that, and in many ways needing to find ourselves there. Now, I, as I think about these, I probably also need to say this in this generation, and, and some of you guys understand this. Hey, women, can I just say very clearly, hey, you're included. I just want to just say it that way. I mean, I understand, hey, we live in a weird world where words are being redefined and sometimes people find themselves feeling excluded when they're not. And so it's going to use terms here of young men and children and fathers. And in our culture, some would say, well, you know, he's not, you know, the women don't feel included in that. And I just want to tell you, hey, that's our culture speaking. It's not the word of God speaking. It was never that way. I mean, I I did some research, and I looked in literally a couple dozen commentaries who were, you know, decades before this and hundreds of years before this, and nobody ever was asking that. Everybody understood, and we're talking about believers, talking about men and women. It it was never, you know, understood to be exclusive, and so just as clearly as I can say this in a most loving way in a culture that seeks to be very divisive in a way, this is not. Ladies, you're included. He's not talking about, you know, kind of specific. He's talking about layers and levels of maturity. And so as he's going to do that for us this morning, there is a sense that if you're a follower of Jesus, part of the point of this must certainly be that you mark yourself. That again, you could almost stand up to the threshold and kind of put a little mark there and then stand back and say, yeah, that's where I am. You know, if this becomes the ruler if what he's giving us here is kind of a perspective of, of, of that growth, you should be able to locate yourself. Now, honesty in that is a little bit of the difficulty. You know, honesty of really saying, yeah, that's really where I am, and, and not pretending to be where you're not. And yet I'm inviting you to that. I'm inviting you in a way in the midst of what we're going to talk about this morning to locate yourself, and then from that location to see what that would mean for you and where you need to go with that. So again, we have these layers of of spiritual maturity, these places that are going to be laid out for us, and we're going to see, you know, three different categories, and maybe you could easily give more. Uh, Maybe there could be a, a longer thing, but we're going to see at least three layers of spiritual maturity. Now, in the midst of this, though, there's another reality that's happening in the midst of this, that God is speaking to you right where you are. That what he's going to do in the midst of this is to do that. I love this section. I got to be honest, it's one of the things that jumps out at me every time I read this, and I'm not sure I'm going to even be able to communicate it as clearly as I want to, but I just want you to note that he's saying this thing. Six times he's going to say it, you know, where he says like in verse 12, I write to you. And then again in verse 13, I write to you. And he'll say that over and over. And then he's going to get to verse 14. He's going to say, I have written to you. So he's going to say, I'm writing to you. I've written to you. I'm writing to you. I've written to you. And there's a part here that's being understood that God is speaking. And God is speaking to you right where you are. In fact, one of the amazing things is that God is able to do that. In fact, God does do that so very, very often, that at the same moment, God can, God does meet us right where we are. 
In fact, that is what we're longing for this morning. Now, again, I don't think I'm going to be able to communicate this like I, I want to, but I just want to tell you in a spiritual way, this geeks me out. I mean, he's just like, this is so cool. I absolutely love that God does this, that he can take the teaching of his word and at the same moment meet people where they are in different capacities, that he can take the, the, the work. And so if it happens even this morning, it'll happen in such an incredible way that meets us right where we are. Now, there are a number of things that need to be there, and I would even ask it from your perspective. You know, if you have ears to hear, if you're in that space of hearing, now that's an honest question. You know, Jesus would say that to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is speaking to his church. He says it seven times there in the book of Revelation, and yet it's used throughout that concept throughout, that when we think about hearing from God, there needs to be an understanding. You have a part to play in that. Your heart, your receptivity is a part of it. I have a part to play in that. I mean, if God is working through me and, and I'm speaking his truth in the spirit of God, so let's just own that there's a part of this on both sides. Me, hopefully right now, being able to, to, to hear from him speaking, you being able to listen, but let's just assume that that goes well. Let's just assume for a moment, then here's what would happen. You would hear it. You would hear God. In fact, it doesn't always happen this way, but it often happens this way. So when you hear it from God, I don't know if that happens for you. I hope it does. I hope there are places where you come to a church service or you're reading the Bible or you're in a Bible study and then you're there and you almost just have this solid sense like this was for me. Like I don't know why the rest of you guys are even here. You know, I get you guys are all just, you know, kind of window dressing. You know, you guys are all kind of extras on the set, but this whole morning was about me. I mean, God arranged this. He orchestrated this to talk to me right where I am. And I don't know if you ever feel that. I don't know if you ever kind of gather and you're like, man, that's a, I don't know why the rest of you even showed up because this was all for me. Now, here's the really fun thing. If you're hearing from God and somebody else is as well, they'll be the same place. But the weird and crazy and wonderful thing is those two people can be in very different places. You could have someone who's a relatively new believer, kind of in that place of being a little children. It's like, man, I got it, and that was all for me. And then somebody else who's a young child or even a mature in faith, they're like, no, no, it was all for me. It met me right where I am. Now, I just want you to think with me for a moment, that's radical. And again, I don't know if that just lands for you like it does for me, but I think about it often because I could never do that. I could never do that. I mean, we, we use different silly illustrations. Imagine if we tried to teach math like that. You know, that we had, you know, some elementary school kind of people who are, you know, kind of learning their multiplication tables, and then we brought in, you know, some mid-high, they're in the geometry and algebra phases, and then we brought in some, you know, in high school or in college that are in advanced mathematics and calculus, and we said, okay, we're going to teach you all at the same time. We're going to teach you, we're going to teach math. It'd be like, let's scan in, you know, there's just no way. How do you, you know, give it at the level where the, the person who's just doing, you know, multiplication tables and the person who's doing calculus, how could you talk to them both in a way that they both get it and feel like, no, I totally heard what I needed to hear? It could never happen in a worldly way. And I just want to tell you, that's the dynamic of the Word of God. That's the dynamic of the way the Spirit of God works, and it's what can happen. Again, there's a lot of factors that can keep it from happening, both from my side and your side, but when it does happen, it's this really cool thing where he says, I'm writing to you right where you are, right where you are, right in that space where you are, right in that place where you are. God is able to take his truth and connect it to you in such an incredibly beautiful way. And I want you just to hear that. And I, again, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't even know what to do with that except to say I love this aspect of it. I'm always praying for it. And I'm longing that it happens right now. That right where you are this morning, again, you would be like, that was for me. I don't know why the rest of you guys showed up, you know, because I, I needed to hear what was being spoken. And God does that. And I love that. And so there is a sense that he's being able to say, hey, I'm writing to each of you right where you are. I'm speaking to each of you right now. In that incredible place, and he is doing that. So we have these layers of spiritual maturity. We have, again, this place where he's writing to us in those places of maturity, right where we are. He's communicating his truth to us, but now we kind of want to define those places. We want to just see those places. In fact, he uses the word because. Again, six times he'll say it that way. Just, you might just notice a couple of them. 
It says in verse 12, I write to you, little children, because. And then he's going to describe what's happening there. I write to you, fathers, in verse 13, because. And then he'll go on and say it for each one. I'm writing to you because this is where you are. Because this is the reality that's taking place in your life. This is the thing that would define your level and layer of maturity. So let's just define those. Just to kind of clean up the screen a little bit. Let me move those out of the way. We'll kind of put the because where you are over at that little measuring thing. And we want to just kind of quickly lay this as the ruler, kind of lay this as the thing that would say, hey, these are the levels or these are the layers. So he begins there in verse 12. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And so that's kind of that first part. We think about the little children, the young men, the fathers that are being laid out there. He says, little children, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Hey, we'll come back and talk about that, but let's keep reading. Verse 13, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. So we'll kind of put that down there as a mark of, of maturity for those who are mature in Christ. Then he continues in verse 13. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. So kind of write that in the midst of there. To those who are in this young men, young, growing, active, he says that you're, you've overcome the wicked one. Then he goes back to the children there at the end of verse 13. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. That, 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 that this is this place of, of knowing him and knowing God as Father. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers. So again, we jump to the mature. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. So actually a repetition there in, in the midst of it, and we put it down there. Then in verse 14, continuing. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, that there's a strength in your life that is found there and the word of God is, is, is active, it's abiding in you. Really good definition. And then he repeats again the, the last part there. He says, and you have overcome the wicked one. So we gaze into this and again, John is giving this to us, God is giving this to us and he's saying this is where you are. Uh, there are categories, and if we want to think about this, layers or levels of maturity that define each one. And, and he says, this is the measurements. These are the measurements to define what that is in you. Well, we could honestly spend a ton of time. We could spend a week on each one of these, quite honestly, easily. But let's quickly define them. Let's work our way through what we just saw, making sure that we understand what we're seeing. And again, one is just to try to mark those as levels so that you would be able to find yourself in the midst of this. So he begins by writing to the little children. He says, I've written to you because you are forgiven for his name's sake. Yeah, that place of, of embracing, of coming to understanding the, the, uh, the forgiveness that's in Christ, that place where your sins are forgiven. And this idea of forgiven recognizes that it's done. It's put in such a tense in the Greek that it has the idea that you recognize that not as an ongoing thing, but a, hey, that's accomplished now, let me be clear. We don't ever get past that place of needing to deal with sin in our life. There isn't a sense that only young, uh, immature believers are, are struggling with this. No, in one sense, we all are working through those things. We think about it. We spend a bunch of time on it early on in 1 John, right? Where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we talked about there and remind you now, hey, if there are some who says, hey, that's not something I'm dealing with, John says, you're lying. It, it can't be because there is a recognition that sin is a, is a real deal in our lives. So all Christians are, are needing to go with this. It, you know, just to kind of get that doesn't mean that, you know, if you move on in maturity, you're not still needing to grow in that. That's true. But for those who are in this immature, kind of young believer in Christ, whether that's because you're a new believer or you've been in the same state for 30 years, it has the idea that this is still what you're wrestling with. Coming to the place of really believing it. Coming into the place of recognizing that, you know, you're forgiven. Not for your sake. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you've done. But because of his name. 
that the forgiveness we have is because of the God that we have and that, that we have this incredible forgiveness in him and, and that's one of those places that is needing to be known, that, that's needing to be there and for those who are in that space of kind of elementary place in the Christian life, that's exactly what God is doing. To a place that that's the lesson that he is driving home and needs to be learned before you can get past that. You know, that there is a sense that that's required there. Again, I'd like you to think about it this way. You know, we think about it sometimes in, in, in you know, school, the way it sometimes works, maybe the way it's supposed to work. I don't know. That's maybe more of an opinion statement. Um, you know, the idea is that there should be, you know, layers that people get to before they can graduate to the next level. You know, and that if somebody can't, you know, pass a course or do that, they get kind of sent back to do that course over again. Well, I just want to tell you, God is faithful to do that. And he, there, I think some reasons, some are in this place of spiritual maturity. It's like, you know, you haven't passed the course yet. You know, we don't get to go on to other things until you get this down. I mean, there's no way to build on this until you get this. And God is that faithful one who would say, this is a lesson you have to come to. You got to understand the blood of Jesus. You got to understand the power of the cross. You got to understand the, the, the power of, of the forgiveness that's in Christ to deal with your sin. And again, it's a powerful part of just kind of the beginning of our Christian life. Well, add to that, he says, not only do you come to that place of forgiveness, but you are then, you, you, you've known the Father, that you begin to enter into this relationship where you know God as your heavenly Father. Now, note with me very quickly that spiritual maturity takes this further. And it says, we've known him who's from the beginning. So, but the beginning starts here uh, in, in the Christian life that coming to a place that we recognize that we're children of God. That now because of Christ, because of what he's done in our lives, that he brings us into the family of God and that we become the children of God in this world. Those are the realities that are there. So he gives us this place that just says, okay, there are, I'm writing to you who are in this space that you're, a, you're, you're, you're kind of a, a young child in Christ in many ways because this is where you are. Like, this is what you're facing. This is what you're going through. And, and I recognize for some it's gonna be hard in that sense to be honest and say, yeah, that's still where I am. Yeah, that, that's, I, I haven't graduated that. I mean, I'm struggling with those very realities, recognizing both the power of forgiveness, the beauty of the body of Christ, and that I'm in, and, and if that's where you are, again, I just want you to own it, not in a condemning way, but saying, okay, that's what I need to hear, because that's what I need to learn. Now, it's interesting. I think about this, and I like the way that John does this here in 1 John, but there's a number of other passages that talk about it as well. Paul would talk about carnal believers who are in this space, but one of my favorites is in the book of Hebrews, and so I'll just kind of flip over there and put it up on the screen for you. When the writer of Hebrews writes to us and, and also speaks of this place of being immature. He's writing to somewhere over there, and he's trying to tell them about Jesus, to take them further into Christ, to help them understand the greatness of Christ very specifically, that he's our great high priest, and incredible realities there. But he says, you know, we have so much more to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. It's like we want to tell you more I want to tell you so much more, but you've become like you're not really paying attention. Like your attention span's already reached its limit. You know, you've become dull of hearing in those ways. For though by this time, uh, he goes on to say, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And again, in a very loving, but a little bit of a disciplined way, he says, you've been a believer long enough. Like you've, you've, you've been in this long enough that by now, you should be being able to communicate some of these things to other people, and you're not. You're still in the place that you're, you know, kind of, you know, going back to, uh, get, get, getting sent back to, you know, over again, and you're still learning the very first things uh, in the body of Christ. You're still learning the first things, the very first principles of the oracles of God. He goes on to list what those are in just the, the reading there. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles in Christ, the first things, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal life. So he gives us another list that kind of speaks into that same category of some being immature. And so let me just kind of rearrange that a little bit so that you can kind of just see these six that are there. And it's interesting, he says, hey, these are the elementary principles. Like this is elementary school 
uh, of the Christian life. Like this is those, those early grades where you're learning that it's no longer our dead works, that it's no longer the works of the flesh that can gain us anything. You're coming to the end of that. Instead, it's faith that he's inviting us to live lives that by faith we, we walk in those things. Of the doctrine of baptisms, baptisms being that declaration of the born-again experience and that recognition both of that but expressing kind of your in in many ways. And of the doctrine of laying out of hands. Now, that's an interesting one. I just quickly give it to you. Most likely in this context, it has the idea of stepping into responsibility. Very often within the, the New Testament, the idea of laying out of hands was to appoint somebody, to say, okay, hey, this is your, you know, hey, we're going to lay hands on someone to represent. And so it has the idea probably in this context of serving, uh, of finding a capacity to serve in the midst of the body of Christ. And I think that probably fits uh, this thing that they says that's what you're still learning in that place. That doctor of, of how to figure out who you are in Christ and how to figure out you actually have a gift and you ought to be, you know, serving Jesus. Those are the elementary principles. Add to that the doctrines of the resurrection of the dead that we recognize we're gonna get our new bodies, we're gonna be in heaven and of eternal judgment. Wow. So why do I point this out? Well, I, I'm just trying to make you think about it from another angle because here's my my fear. I fear that maybe we live in such a lukewarm season of church history, which the Bible said would be there in the last days. I fear that maybe we live where spiritual immaturity, instead of it being um, just the beginnings, it's become almost the norm, that in this day and age, even this level of maturity would look like maturity. I don't know if that makes any sense, but think about it this way. I mean, I'm just thinking about it in today's kind of climate of church. If somebody really understood repentance of, we're not, we're, we're, we're not in dead works any longer, we have faith and baptisms and laying out of hand, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, for some of us it'd be like, man, you're so mature. Like, you're so advanced. I mean, like, you like really understand the deep things of God. And Hebrews like, that's just the beginning. I mean, really, you're stuck in elementary school and do you not understand there's, there's depth beyond this, and, and to, to recognize that if those are the spaces that you're in, well, it's not a bad space, it's a needed space, but it's a space to, to gain. It's a space to say, okay, hey, that's where I am, but I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay there because that's what I need to get, and so again, for some of you, you're going to be altogether honest, and you're going to say, that's where I am, you know, I, I, I guess I am. I'm, I'm spiritually immature. I haven't really yet gone past those levels. Well, then learn it. I mean, just say, God, teach me. Teach me about Jesus. Teach me about the blood of Christ. Help me to get past this place where I am constantly wrestling with, am I really forgiven? And, you know, and, and, the, and con condemnation. Let me get to the place where I really am in a place of recognizing you as my heavenly father. Learn those so that it's, not something that's present, it's past, that he's able to say, because you have this, because this is where you are. And again, if that's where you are, again, no condemnation, because God is faithful to meet you there, but it's helpful just to know where you are and have him do that. But there's growth, and, and the intention is to grow past that. So we have these little children, these babes in Christ, if you will, who are learning those lessons, but then we go on to young men to these growing, active believers who are serving and, and walking in the midst of this. And twice, and he, as he defines that layer of, of spiritual maturity, he says, says the same phrase. And so again, you, you see it in the text, just so you're able to notice it there with me. He writes it there in the midst of verse 13. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one much to say. We did a whole study on spiritual warfare just right before this study, and so if that's something you need help with or getting into, then I would invite you to go back and get that, but the deal is we really do have an enemy. Uh, we have an enemy who is the enemy of your soul, who's the enemy of Christ, and, and he resists us. But one of the marks of a growing maturity is the ability to overcome that. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion, and again, there's not enough information here to make it solid, but I'll just let you kind of hear where I am at this, and you can think about whether you really think it's true. 
Spiritual warfare is real for all of us. There's not anybody that Satan is working in our world right now. He's the prince of the power of the air who's at work among the sons of disobedience. So the whole world has this. But I can tell you from personal experience, and I can tell you from being a pastor watching it in people's lives, do you want to experience spiritual warfare? Do you, do you want to know what this is like? Then try to serve God. Try, try to step into a place where you're going to make a difference for Jesus in this world where you're going to be someone that says, hey, I, I, want to be, I, want to, I, I want to kind of do that. And in a weird way, think about it this way. It's like stepping up to the front lines. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to step into the battle. You know, for some Christians, they're, they're, they're living their lives behind the battle lines. But the moment you say, I'd like to be a part of the battle. I'd, I'd like to be a part of representing Jesus. Maybe I want to share the gospel. And I'm really going to start trying to do that and be a witness for Jesus. Or maybe, again, figuring out that you have a gift. For we highlighted it a moment ago, but I'll just tell you, tell you quickly, there's not any Christian who's meant to be sitting on the sidelines. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. Every Christian has been called to be a representative of Jesus in this world. All of us are supposed to be doing that. But here's the deal. If you're going to do that, then you're going to have to overcome. Think about it like this way. So, Satan's real, and he's our adversary. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you believed in Jesus, you're born again, and you are radically saved, then I believe that your soul is held firmly by God, that Satan would look upon you with an understanding and understand this, you're outside of his grasp. You're outside of his reach. He no longer gets to, you know, make you his. But he has one goal then, to make you ineffective to make your life that which bears no fruit, to make your life that which does no good. So if you're going to advance into the things of the kingdom of God, you're going to have to get past that. You're going to have to be, and, and he puts it here in the past tense, not like you are overcoming or that you are kind of, he says, if you're in this category, you've learned how to get past that. You've learned how to step into that, and Satan is not knocking you backwards See, again, for some of you, and again, maybe in all together, honestly, you're right there in between. You, you're in that place where, you know, that immaturity has kind of been accomplished, like you figured out, you know, I am forgiven. I'm a child of God. That's amazing. But you kind of haven't moved into the next stage, partly because every time you take a step forward, Satan knocks you backward, and you let him. I mean, you're like, okay, I'm going to start sharing the gospel. And then all of a sudden, everything goes wrong. And you're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to share the gospel after all. Forget it. If it's going to be that hard, forget I'm not going to play. Or maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to start teaching a Bible study. I just really like to do that. And then as soon as that happens, like all kinds of spiritual attacks happen. You're like, never mind. <laughs> no, I quit. Not playing, you know. And, then, and, and so you live in this space where Satan is able to just knock you back over and over again. To move into this next phase, you're going to have to learn how to overcome that. You're going to have to learn how to say, you know what, he's not, I am not going to be, you know, regulated to a place of immaturity. I want to be used by God, and so I'm going to have to be able to overcome his tactics in my life. I'm going to have to be able to be there, and it becomes a mark of somebody who's moved into this phase of their spiritual life. Is there like, yeah, <laughs> You know, spiritual warfare is real, and I press right past it. Like, you know, in some ways, in a weird way, for some of us in Christ, spiritual warfare actually is kind of a confirmation. Like, I'm doing the right thing because Satan's resisting. Like, if he's not resisting, I'd, I'm worried. You know, I, I, the only way I know I'm on the front lines is that Satan's attacking me. You know, and it's like, okay, I, I'm doing good because I want to make a difference in this world. Yeah, that becomes a mark of this. And so, again, he says it twice. And again, I just think that's worth just noting that if he, if he says it twice, he says it there in verse 13 and then he repeats it at the end of the phrase there in verse you know, 14, he says you know, that you have overcome the wicked one when he reach, writes to these, then it must certainly be a big part of this phase of maturity, of being able to overcome that and to live a life that's making a difference for Jesus in this world. Add to that. Not only is it overcoming the wicked one, he says to the young men, to this kind of those who are in the midst of this, this growing active believers in Christ, he said, you're strong. You're strong. And you, and the word of God abides in you. And those are probably connected the way they're put so that the strength that you have is because of the word of God. 
is because of the power of the word of God in your life. And honestly, it's meant to be that way. So one of the marks that defines someone who's moving into this phase of that is that they now become those who know this book. He says, this book, the Word of God, it's actually inside of your life. You're, you're in a place where you're diving in and you're getting it, and the Word of God is at work in you and growing you into that maturity. In fact, let's go back to that passage in Hebrews because I, I like it, and I left out that section when I first quoted it a moment ago. In Hebrews 5, writing to these, he says, for by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. So as God writes this to us in the book of Hebrews, and he's writing to these who are immature, and he's like, you guys should be past this already, really. I mean, you should be into a place that you're serving and representing God to other people. He says, part of the problem is, you know, you're, you're, you're not even eating your own food. You're still eating pre-processed food. You're still, you know, kind of, your spiritual diet is the equivalent of milk, uh, of, of a mother's milk kind of a thing, where, you know, you're not, you don't, you don't dive into it on your own. You don't chew it on your own. I mean, the entirety of your, of your, of your growth in that sense becomes that place where it's being received. And this, again, becomes that scary place. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm inaccurate on it. But I'm greatly concerned that for many Christians today, that really the, the, the most of what they get is on a Sunday morning. I mean, they get, if I can say it this way, what I have pre-processed, what, what I have studied and I'm laying out and people are like, hey, that's good, but they don't ever chew it themselves. They don't ever get into the Bible themselves. They don't ever study it themselves. They don't read it themselves. Everything they get has been processed by somebody else so that either it's at church or they're picking up a little devotion, a devotion booklet that somebody else has pre-processed for them but never really getting into the Bible where they themselves know the Bible. Where it's like, yeah, I, I know it. I mean, I know about the Bible. I understand parts of it. I'm growing in that. In fact, he goes on to simply say, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Like, you don't know the Bible. You're unskilled in knowing the Bible. You're a babe. You know, if you don't know this book, then that becomes the mark of that solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He says the thing is that these people are actually doing it. They're actually putting into practice. They're studying it. They're getting it. And, and they're applying it in their own ways. And that becomes a mark of maturity, which is exactly what John is telling us here. So again, I just want you to think this through for a moment. He's telling us, hey, this becomes a mark of this layer of maturity, that you've gone past just being spiritually fed by other people. It's not that it's bad. We never get past needing people to teach us. Don't misunderstand me. There's a part of the body of Christ. I have the gift of teaching. That will never go away. I don't, there's not anybody who kind of gets, I don't need teachers anymore. That becomes an arrogance that is not a godly place. So we still need teachers, but you're meant to dive into it on your own. You're meant to understand the Bible where you're able to say, yeah, I, I, I know it. I, I, I know books of the Bible. I know places. I know verses. I understand it. I dive into it on my own. I chew it on my own. I cut up my own meat, if you will. I kind of get into those things. I understand it. That's what maturity looks like. And so he's laying that as a, a layer. So again, for some of you, you're going to recognize right now, that's where I am. That's a good marker of me. That's kind of the layer of where I've become. I've become one who I am engaged in serving Jesus, and I know spiritual warfare, and I'm in the book. I know the, I know the Bible. That's a good place. And some of you, again, are going to understand that's not yet where you are, that you're almost there. Like you're, you're again, some of you are in this limbo in between being a little child and a young person because that's really what's not happened yet. But I love this because in one sense, he's kind of saying, okay, well, if you've figured out the first couple things, if you understand you're forgiven and you understand you're in the family of God, good. Let's go further. Start facing spiritual warfare. Start serving God. Start stepping up into the battle and then know his book. So that, that becomes a place that's not just a learning curve, but ultimately you want to be the place that that's accomplished. It's in that place like, yeah, that's me. 
That's my life. That's what I am. That's, that defines my existence. So he can be able to say, because this is where you are. Like, this is where you are in the midst of that. And that's a good space. And for some of you, you're going to recognize that's where you are or this is where God is bringing you, that you would recognize your height and say, yeah, that's what I need. That's where I need to go. It's a good space. But it's not the end. It's not the height. It's worth noting that he goes on to address the mature in Christ, that is the fathers, and he says it twice. He says it again there in verse 13. I I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then he'll say it again in verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. So right off the bat, we notice it. There's, there's two things listed, but they're the same thing. In fact, it's the only one in the midst of this that only really has one thing said. Like, this is the mark of spiritual maturity. It's not like couple, there's one mark. He says it twice to make sure that we understand that that's what it is, but there's just one thing. What's the one thing? It's knowing him. It's where we find that, you know what, what, what makes... The, the height of Christianity, you know what it makes it, is where we find him to be what we, what we have. That knowing him, knowing him personally, knowing him in reality, knowing him in his vastness. I like the way he says it. You've known him who is the God who is from the beginning. The God who is the beginning and the end, who is the sovereign, almighty, overarching. That's the God you're diving into. And he says, you know that. And if you're in that space of maturity, then that then becomes what this is. Now, again, I love this. I love the reality that's being laid out here. And I find myself thinking about it. You know, Paul gives us uh, some interesting perspectives of this in his own life. When he gives his own personal testimony in Philippians 3, he talks about all the things that God rescued him from, the, the, his own self-righteousness at the early part of chapter 3. But then he gets to it here in verse 8. He says, Yet I indeed count all things as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He says, you know, God brought me to the place that everything else, you know, all my self-righteousness, all that's gone. I mean, it's no longer where I am. He says, but I've come to this. And he uses this incredible term, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. It's one of my favorite statements in the entire Bible. And it's really hard to communicate in English. The idea of excellence has the idea of something that is so far surpassing that nothing else compares to it. It's the idea of where you're saying, you know, I've come to this place where knowing God has left everything else in my life behind. It's left everything else pale in comparison to knowing God. Knowing Him, it's the most satisfying, the most rewarding, the most wonderful. In fact, in the way it puts it in the Greek language, it would probably be best translated, if you translate it just literally, it would be super surpassing. That's the best way I can render that word excellence. It's not just the idea that it surpasses everything else. It so far surpasses them. It's like flying into the future. Like, that is so big. It's so super. It's so far beyond. Everything else is so minimal and compared to this one thing, which is knowing him. Like, knowing God, Paul says, that's everything. He says, that's what I want. He says, I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I just want to be conformed into even his death. He says, I just want to know him. Yeah, that's exactly what he's describing for us here, that he's giving us this place where he's helping us understand what that looks like. And so I just want you to understand that, that I want you to understand that this is what spiritual maturity looks like. This isn't the goal for some. This is, you know, because sometimes we live in this weird space where sometimes people will say, well, yeah, you know, if you're one of those... um, deep Christians, you know, you're you're like, you really like that, you're going to go into that, but not everybody has to go that direction. Well, if you're going to grow, you do. This is where it goes. The the height of the Christian life, the fullness of our experience, the, the place that would mark real maturity in Christ is where it's not just serving God, it's not just knowing his word, those are good, it's not just being a part of the family of God or overcoming your own forgiveness, those are all good, needed things but they all help us get to the main thing, which is knowing him, 
which is loving him, which is saying, okay, this is where the, 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 the real Christian life is fully lived. This is what it looks like to be mature into the place that we know him. That marks the mark of somebody who's mature. So as you're processing that through with me, let's, let's think about it this way. So he's telling us this again, and he's giving us this place where we kind of have these definitions now of these levels of layers of, of spiritual maturity. And I want to say again, God loves you right now. I just want you to know that, and he will meet you right where you are. That has to be part of this section, that he's saying, I'm writing to you right where you are. And I hope you're getting that, but I think it obviously makes sense, or at least it does to me, that certainly part of what this list must do is hopefully create desire, where we would look on it and say, okay, I get where this is going. I get where this is going, and I want it. That there should be, if we could do it, let's just say we could do it. Let's just say that I could take you over to the, the, the doorway, come in, and I could put some mark on your place of spiritual maturity. And some of you would say, yeah, I'm in that little child phase. That's where I am. And some of you are like, I'm kind of right in between, or I'm kind of learning. But there shouldn't be anybody that walks away and goes, I think I'll stop there. You know, like, that's good. Like, that's, like, that's as much as I'm going to grow. I think, you know, just mark that down. That's, no, there should be a place that if you're, wherever you mark, you think, I want to go higher. I mean, you know, because that's how it really works, right? I mean, if you have children and you do that, the, the reason you do the mark on the doorway is because for most of the kids are like, measure me again. Do they get taller? You know, like, measure me again. I think I'm bigger than I was last week. And, and for some of you, are like, man, we just did this, you know? I mean, I can remember for some of our kids, like, really? We just measured, really? I mean, I, I don't think you grew since Monday, you know? But sometimes you almost want that, that place of like, I want to. I want to get, I want to grow, I want to I, I be one that's pressing higher into the things that God has for us. And I think about Paul. So I, I gave you his own personal testimony or a glimpse into it in Philippians 3, where he says that again, you know, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I just count them as rubbish. I just want Christ. I want to gain him. I just want to know him. I mean, he's like, I have found this to be the main thing. And then he goes on in this well-known section, and he says, you know, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So it's worth noting, Paul the Apostle says, you know, if you, if you put my mark on the doorway, I'm not as, I haven't grown as far as I want to grow. There's more for me. I know there's more for me. I know there's more ahead of me. And if I can just say it this way, if Paul the Apostle needed to grow, I need to grow. And I think you do need to grow too. I don't think there's anybody that's like, nope, I'm there, totally arrived. Man, I, I am at the height of spiritual maturity. It's like I, if Paul could say, you know, here's the thing, I have not. I have not reached what God has for me. There's more. I mean, knowing him, it's just, I mean, there, there's layers to that that are so big and so incredible. He says, I want to know more of that, he says. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press, he says. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, this is how I'm doing it. I, I, I want what he wants me for. He's created me for this whole thing, and I'm after it. You know, we talked about this at our, at our New Year's message, and so I just quickly highlighted again, this becomes just the attitude that should be there for us, that we look on spiritual maturity, again, as one of those places of saying, I want it. And unlike physical growth, we actually have a part to play. We, get to, we, get, we can press into that. I mean, we can say, okay, God, I want to grow. I want to grow in the things that you have for me. I, I want to grow in what that is. Now, again, this is Paul's words there in Philippians 3, but he ties into this whole concept of spiritual maturity for the very th next thing he says in the very next verse is he says, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Wow. So what did he just say? He says, okay, here's the deal. If you've grown into maturity, if God has brought you to the place, you understand this with me. Let's do it. Let's, let's go. Let, let's keep pressing after Christ. Let's keep knowing him more. If you're mature, we have the same mind about this. This isn't something that's, I mean, all mature believers, this is where we are. It's like, I want to know him. I mean, knowing God is so much better than anything else. He says, if you're mature, you're there. 
if that's not where you are. If you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. In a very simple way, it's like, oh, he's going to show you. I mean, because that's what he does. I mean, the goal of the Christian life is to get here, and he is faithful, so he is working this on you. Like, there's no doubt about it that he's trying to draw you into this space, and he's going to do that. Nevertheless, Paul says, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let's be of the same mind. He says, nevertheless, here's the thing. Where you are, walk. Hey, like, grow. So maybe you put yourself a mark on thinking, like, I'm a, I'm a young, I'm immature Christian, or I'm in the young. He says, that's where you are. Know that, know where you are, but then let's just grow. Wherever you are, wherever that's found you in the midst of it, but let's understand where we're going. Let's understand that this is the goal. Like, this is what he has for us. I want to say that so much better. I want to say it so much more. Do you understand that? Do you know that right now you have been made for a relationship with God and nothing else will ever satisfy you? Nothing. Have you figured out that when Jesus said, hey, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he meant it? Like there's not anything better than that. There's not anything more important than that. And and he's inviting you to be in the space where you would find that to be your own personal experience. Where you would say, you know what I figured out? Boy, yes, I'm dealing with sin. Yes, I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. Yes, I'm serving God. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm studying his word. But you know what? All of that pales in compared to the greatness of knowing my God. Knowing him, it's the greatest experience of my life. It's, it's the greatest thing that I get to do. It's the highest. That's what Paul says. He says, it is for me. It's the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what David would say, the man after God's own heart, he says, one thing, one thing I, I, I desire, one thing I'm pursuing. I want to be in God's presence. I want to dwell in the house of God. Like there's one thing. It's what Mary would say when she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus defends her and to Mary says, hey, he says, you know, Mary's chosen the best part. One thing. There's only one thing that's really needed and Mary figured that out. Mary's figured out, hey, it's, there's, there's really one thing. That's what Moses would say upon uh, getting them out of the 10 commandments. He says, God, just show me your glory. I just want to know you. I just want to know you more. There's an aim here that you should be able to look at this and say, I, I want that. So again, I, I, just, I know this. Maybe you've had a, a beginning on it. And it really does begin. It begins when, we're, when we become a Christian, when we begin to know God as our Father. But the height of our experience, the height of Christian, Christianity, is going to be in a place that is marked by this place of just knowing God. And so there is a sense that he's inviting you to have that. He's inviting you to press up after that. And so some of you, that's where you need to be. Again, for some of you, again, maybe you're in that young man phase where you've, you know, you serve God and you are in the Bible and that's really, really good. And God's like, okay, that's good. Keep going, keep going. Come into this place where you just begin to discover that God is the best thing ever. That, that knowing him makes everything else pale. Because that's the point, that we are invited to do that. Okay, quick technical thought. So we're thinking about all these things, and I just want to say this pressing upward in Christ, in one sense he's inviting you and I to love God. Now, John is an interesting book, and in some ways it, it doesn't flow always in a very um, linear fashion. We talked about that a little bit. But it's an interesting thing if... If one of the things that's supposed to just land in this section is this height of this understanding of knowing God and loving God, it would kind of be thematic in our section. So just quickly highlighting that for you, if you've been with us in 1 John, our last study in 1 John is in the section before this where we talked about this old new commandment where he said, okay, there's a commandment that's given to you that you love one another, even as I've loved you, Jesus says, by this all men will know you're my disciples. That really is the second commandment. And he says, but that's what you're supposed to be known by. So that's what we just talked about. And if that's true, then we come into this thing that it becomes a highlight of the greatest commandment, which is to know God. And then in the next section, he's going to come and say, but don't love the world. Don't love the world. So in one sense, he's telling us, hey, we need to love each other and we need to love God, but don't love the world. I mean, so there is this whole little section that's highlighting for you and I this place of of, of loving him, 
of that being who we are. And I just want to invite you into it. I just want to tell you, I think it was that you know, well-known quote from Augustine that said, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in him. You're made for a relationship with God and absolutely nothing else will ever satisfy. I invite you to that. One last thought and we'll close there. So I don't know where you are. I mean, I don't know where you would measure yourself this morning. And again, if honesty could be there, you might find yourself on the, on the, on the mark. But it could be that you're here this morning and you're not his. That in one sense, what's needing to happen for you is that very beginning to become a child of God. And to become a child of God means you come into that place where your sins are forgiven and you become a part of the family of God. And that happens by new birth. That happens by believing in Jesus. In fact, we've been using the passage from Philippians, so I'll just go back to it, where Paul says, I encounter all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he goes on and says, I want to be found. I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is a pretty good just nugget definition of how you become a follower of Jesus. How do, you, how do you get here? It's faith. It's believing in God. It's believing in Jesus. He says, I want to have a righteousness that isn't mine, that is Jesus, that is believing in him. And Jesus invites us to that. So if you're here this morning and you don't know him, if you're in this space or in our overflow or online, and maybe that's where this needs to begin. You need to become a child of God to have your sins washed away and to become a part of his family, we invite you into that. We invite you to surrender to him. But for many of you, you are his children. And you're somewhere in the midst of this. And I don't know where this ruler, if this could be that ruler that we just stuck on the thing and can measure you, I don't know what it's supposed to mean to you. I do know this, it should encourage you that God knows you and he's talking to you right where you are, but he's inviting you further. He's inviting you into a place where you would say, okay, I want it. I, I, I might see where I am or I'll see what I'm going, but I want to keep going because I, I want that place where I could be mature in Christ, where I could know him and find that to be the most satisfying thing in my life. I invite you to that. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, that which you have open right now. And I just want to just invite you into a space where we could just enter into that. And I don't know what it was that God spoke to you. Again, it might be surrendering to him this morning. Or it might be recognizing where you are in this spiritual growth process. And it might be just a, a needed decision. We're like, okay, I see it. I know what I need to do. I know what the next step is. It's, I need to start diving into the scriptures. Or I need to start serving. Or I need to really deal with my sin. Or I need to embrace the body of Christ. Or I finally need to get to the place where I'm just, I know God. And you just need to begin asking for it. You know, with Moses and David, like, God, I want this. There's one thing I'm seeking. I'm pursuing the greatest thing. And maybe he's inviting you to such a pursuit, just to, to make that more yours. Wherever that's met you this morning, we just want to invite you to it. So we're going to give you a quiet moment just to pray. Between you and the Lord right now, just to talk to him about whatever it is that he has spoken to you this morning. And we're hoping that that has been heard by you and God in his faithfulness has made it land right where you are. So quietly, would you take a moment and pray to the Lord right now? I'll do the same, and then we'll come back together and close in worship in just a moment.
God, thank you for your faithfulness, your ability to meet us right where we are. I do pray for that, some being drawn to you who you are showing that they're not yet a child of God. Rescue them. Lord, thank you that you forgive sins for your name's sake. Thank you that you bring us to be children. God, I pray for those who need that right now, and I pray that you would draw them. Then those of us who are yours, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us enough to meet us right where we are. And I pray that somehow that happened this morning, that we heard it. And it was for me, it was for us. And we heard what you had to say to us. And in a perfect way, it met us right where we are. You're the only one that can do that. But I pray for it. But I do pray that it would create in us that desire that Paul the Apostle spoke of, that we're pressing higher, that we want that which you saved us for. Ultimately, is that relationship with you, to knowing you, to finding you to be the most satisfying, you to be the highest of heights, of finding that that relationship with you far surpasses any else that we could make a pursuit in our life. Would you help us to believe, know, and to press higher, to grow us in maturity? Thank you that you write to us and speak to us that, and I pray that we've heard it. Just pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God make that so.